I thought Love the it. beers were like complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's so it's so country uh, truck driving. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, it's rockabilly. That's not rock. I would call it rockabilly. No, it's, of course it's more, you it's more country and western. I think there was banjo um, in there. Yeah. yeah. There was a bit of banjo. Bit of banjo picking. Yeah. Swampabilly. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Uh, look, I don't think that's it. I like it. Yeah. But I don't think it's our walk on song just yet. No. No. It's okay. one for home. We'll try harder. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Cars Guide podcast, where we tear down pressure test and rebuild the issues of the automotive week. I'm James, and with me are Richard, hello, and Matt. G'day. This week, among other things, we'll look at the warranty arms race that's just taken another big step up, Holden's future through the eyes of one of the brand's elder statesmen, sales trends at the end of the first quarter, and interesting developments at Ferrari. So stay with us. But first, Musquatch. Yes, well, the update. Crazy Elon. He's actually um, taking or has taken personal control of Model 3 production because, of course, he's the most qualified person on the planet for that role. Yeah. And apparently he's sleeping at the factory and puts his hand up to having made 202 Model 3s in the last seven days, which, of course, has helped weekly production hit 2,000 units, which is still only 500 units off their claimed run rate that yeah. we were going to see about a year and a half ago. Still pretty good. Still pretty good. Yep. But um, I would imagine there might be other people out there that know about putting cars together mm, and, and yeah. ramping up production Yeah. Um, rather than this guy. Yeah. And he's actually elbowed his chief of engineering production out of the way, who was formerly at Apple. Um, <laughs> right. So, you so know. He didn't know anything about he's, building He's product. a car guy yeah. through yeah. and through. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all go. So he's putting them together himself. Like, surely he's just getting in the way. I'll do that. Oh, can I do that? I don't he, know. I've just got an image of him in a boiler suit with some he must be, banners and stuff. He must yeah. be the most highest paid yeah. production line worker yeah. in history. Best use Ever. of his time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. He's got to delegate that guy. <laughs> right. Delegate. There you go. Crazy Elon for another week. We'll keep you updated <laughs> with his shenanigans. But talking of Tesla, the company in Australia has just announced an eight-year warranty. Now, fact is, it's not unlimited kilometres. It's actually only 160,000, but eight long years. Uh, It's certainly a market topper in terms of time. But, Richard, you're saying, why stop there? Why why should eight years be the minimum? Yeah, look, you know, um, I remember a few years ago when Hyundai brought out their five-year warranty. That was was quite, you know, outstanding for the time. And then Kia brought out its, its, you know... At the time, unbeatable seven-year warranty, and now we've got eight. Yeah. Like, why? Why stop there? Like, what happens at eight? Um, what happens after eight? <laughs> I mean, it, it raises the question, doesn't it? A warranty in a consumer's eyes, mm. a warranty is either a brand's confidence yes. um, in its ability to deliver a product that'll be, you know, pretty much trouble-free mm. for a long period of time, um, or a consumer will say, "Oh, gee, you know, I need an eight-year warranty. That thing's got to be a bucket of bolts <laughs> because um, they don't trust the fact that it'll go without." The, the backup of a warranty. What well, do you make of that, Matt? Well, we've heard Toyota say before that they won't back their cars with a longer than three-year warranty because they trust that their yes, cars will last. Exactly. Um, mm. And you would hope that if something did go wrong, 
with a Toyota at year six or seven, that yes. maybe they'd give you a little bit better support than maybe another brand. Um, but I don't think it's... I mean, I think it's an important thing for people to consider when they do buy a new car. Right. And, and there's the benefit that they can pass that warranty on yes. to the next person. It transfers with ownership. Yeah. yeah. And that's the case for the, the Kia warranty, which is seven years, yeah. and also for this new Tesla warranty. So. Well, with, with the Tesla, there's only about six moving parts anyway. Well, there's like yeah. four wheels and you open yeah. a door and maybe yeah. the steering wheel. There's, there's not much to go wrong. What, what's a little bit frustrating, though, is that it <coughs> might be eight years, but it's only 160,000 kilometres. Mm-hmm. Kia's seven-year warranty is a seven-year unlimited kilometer yeah and we were having a chat about this in the office earlier and one of the one of the guys was saying that his auntie that was the selling point for her because she's she's she works in occupational health she drives all over Wollongong all over the state yes um, and for her that unlimited kilometer side of the warranty was the big selling point mm-hmm. yeah. she puts stacks of miles on that car yeah. whereas I think it's actually a clue to the current use to which people put their Teslas yes you know, despite a lot of chat about yep. uh, superchargers up the mm. east coast and here there and everywhere yep. they are still predominantly a city car yeah. yep. so you're not going to be racking up the big K's where interstate drivers might be so the unlimited thing becomes less relevant. 160 seems actually like a big number right. for a Tesla. Yeah. In the US, for example, the Kia warranty is 10 years or 100,000 miles, so 160-ish thousand kilometres. Yeah. Right. So 10 years, that's unbelievable. 10 years, wow. Yeah. But even, even you know, you just drive it to the shops or church on Sunday driver over 10 years is probably going to be giving 160,000 Ks a nudge. Yeah. Um, you'd think you'd be flat out trying to keep under that number over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That starts to become more of an arm wrestle with your dealer. I, I want the extended you know, <laughs> miles or kilometres exactly. or whatever it is. I'm determined to find out as well what actually happens at a at a service uh, visit uh, for a Tesla, Tesla. too. Yeah, yeah, I'd like um, to know how much it costs because what yeah. do they do? Yeah, there's not a lot of information out there on it, um, yeah. and it's, I suppose it's our job to get to the bottom of it. So mm-hmm. we will. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. suppose so. All right, great. Let's move on. This week in the wash up after the New York Auto Show, um, it's still still running, but um, the media preview days were actually at the end of last week. The godfather of the Holden Monaro, Michael Simcoe, a person who basically grew up at Holden professionally, uh, to now become GM's Vice President of Global Design. So he's the big kahuna in terms of how GM products look globally, has uh, gone on the record. We've got a story on the website that says Holden has a mountain to climb in terms of either regaining or gaining success, depending on how you see it, in this marketplace. And he says that's mainly because he thinks people think that Holden is shutting down because of all the chat around, uh, you know, the cessation of local production. And that's really the conventional wisdom every time one of these plants is closed down through Mitsubishi Mm. and and the Mm -hmm. more recent ones. I say because (laughs) I think it's it's more uh, because their lineup is lacking in key areas. You know, Holden sales are down 23% year on year on the most recent data that we've got. Um, the Astra, for example, which should be firing in the small hatch market, is eighth in that segment. Yeah. You know, um, wherever you look through Spark, Barina, Astra, um, they're not really where they should be. They're m- massive also-rans. Mm-hmm. The only kind of semi-shining lights are the 4x4 Colorado, and, and there are a few that have only been around for five minutes. Like, I suppose we've got to give the benefit of the doubt for um, Commodore for a start and yeah. Trailblazer and, and a few others. But... but- but even like the Equinox, which 
is a is a brand new SUV. You'd think that a brand new SUV could get some market traction. Yeah. 327 yeah. sales in March. And that's, that's below the Ford Escape. That's below... Well, the, the, the way it normally goes is if you've got a new model, you are going to get a burst of early adopters, yeah. people that yeah. want to own that car, yeah. and you're going to get vultures hanging on branches when it's about to leave, and you'll get a burst if you do your run out well yeah. at the other yeah. and, end. And not, so, yeah, there should be a bump. Not to you know discredit Renault, but the Renault Colios outsold the Holden Equinox for March. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's absurd. And it's almost being Renault. It's almost a niche brand. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. This is, in, this is, I mean, I think they do have a mountain to climb and, you I know, do. it wouldn't, to to be honest, I don't think that it would be too long of a bow to stretch to see Holden yeah. shut down in Australia mm. at some point yeah. because what mm. what is it costing them to sure. keep this operation going? I agree. What are they getting from it? Yeah. The, the effort required to... You know, well, they've got to engineer cars for right-hand drive for different markets, but yep. that ends up with us getting a lot of cars that yep. maybe aren't as good as what they get in the US. Agreed. Agreed. So, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. It's. Um, I was going to say, Matt, I, I completely agree. Um, now that Opel now own, or sorry, now that Peugeot now have the the blueprints and the, and the you know the the technology and the uh, the property of mm-hmm. Opel. Which, yep. which includes Commodore, yes. um, Insignia, and um, Astra. Yeah. Um, you know, next five years will be, it'll be, a, you know, Holden Commodore, but I can easily see um, yeah. Opal taking that and going. Well, look, the, sitting at the crux of it, as far as I'm concerned, is that Holden's unique selling proposition is gone. That's right. You know, yeah. mm. Australia's car, she's yeah. a beauty and all that kind yeah. of palaver yeah. Yeah. is now worthless yeah. because it's just another import brand like anybody else's. That's yeah. right. What was an advantage has become a disadvantage. Ford was always seen as, oh, not quite as local as Holden because it's actually that blue yeah. oval and yeah. it's global. Now, that's a major ace up their sleeve yeah. Yeah. Uh, because is. they're seen as a credible brand in the market, whereas Holden is like, what? why what are you doing here? Well, yeah. why are you here? I think, I mean, not to also not to discredit Mike Simcoe, if he's the head of design, a lot of the problem is a lot of their cars don't look like each other. Sure. Yeah. So you look at family brand like SUVs in different model lines and um, other brands that have got cars that all look mm. very similar to one another. Yes. Like Mazda, for example, yeah. tend to do quite well. Yeah. Where Holden's model lineup, none of them look like they match up and that's look that's because i mean they they say one of their strengths is they're able to cherry pick from all their brands from around from around the world and that's what you end up with you end up with an astro where the hatch is sourced from opal yeah and the and uh the sedan is a daywood yeah do you know what i mean so it's well i thought it was also really interesting as to how quickly um mike simcoe has become the captain corporate you know i'm in detroit guy yeah and said oh yeah they've got a problem down there yeah. And I thought, oh, mate, you know, you're someone who was raised up in the Holden environment. Yeah. It was your uh, drive and enthusiasm that got the Monaro up second time around. You know, you, you must have some kind of emotional bond yeah. um, with this company. But he just seemed uh, relatively distant, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, but, hey, speaking of design, uh, Toyota has launched new Hilux variants. So the market-leading um vehicle yeah. uh, at its Aussie Design Centre to reinforce, I imagine, its global cred in that area, given that they've stopped building cars here as well. Yeah. And Matt, you were there to to experience the launch of these. Fill us in. I was. So um, if you haven't heard, they've added three new models uh, to the Hilux range. So there's the SR-based 
uh, Rugged, which is the most affordable new model that they've added. Then there's the Rugged X, which is uh, a slightly more hardcore version of that vehicle, but based on the SR5, which is the most popular model in the Hilux range. And then there's the Rogue, which is a stylized, more city-focused, more more the foreman than the worker. So you've style. got your rugged, you've yep. got your rogue. What about the macho or the you know the, <laughs> the bloke or yeah. the bloke? The yeah, yeah. yeah, the, the Hilux bloke. Yeah. Um, well, they they've had some some interesting names in the past. Was there any the chat Hilux. about those names? I mean, rugged just seems a bit. I don't know. No. Twee. Yeah. No? no, there wasn't any talk about it. Okay. Um, I, I mean. I guess they've got to appeal to a certain buyer, you know, yep. the, and the Rugged and Rugged X are very much aimed at um, those people who want to be seen as adventurous. Okay. Um, where the Rogue is is more of the, I'm a bit of a rebel, you know, like and, I'm the and city given, guy. And given that um, all this happened in their design centre, and much and all is it's a, a, like a subjective thing, yep. what did you make of the look of them? Do you, do you think they're uh, going to find uh, buyers out there? Yeah, I think they will. Um, I, I think that the Rugged X is the one that they're focusing on most, um, which is a bit surprising to me. I thought they would have focused more on the Rogue because more and more people are buying these vehicles as dual purpose yeah. you know the family on the weekend and the work truck during the week and the rogue seems to be the vehicle that sells that the best yeah um, but they put a lot of focus on rugged x and you know the credibility of it off-road and all that sort of stuff so it's definitely rugged x not rugged 10 you know we yeah. haven't got this apple <laughs> kind of confusion going on no it's definitely rugged x, x. Yeah. cool and it's um it was really interesting to see you know behind the scenes of what they do there, how they design things. They showed us um, they've got this uh, virtual reality set up where they've got a courtyard where the designer can put on a VR headset, walk around the virtual ute in the middle of this actual courtyard wow. and you know, get up close and see what's what and wow. see if the panel gaps are good and, and that sort of stuff. I mean, it's pretty cool stuff. Do you know I took a VR trip at the New York Motor Show um, on the Ford stand and it's the kind of here's the mm. mobility of the future and it was flying cars and, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and it, I felt decidedly queasy by yeah, the end yeah. of it. I, I was too. like, I hope this ends fast yeah. because I'm not feeling very good. <laughs> a VR yeah. trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, that's fantastic. Thank you. But now put your hand on your heart. And stand by for some special words from an Aussie icon. Life's a journey, and for over a century, Winton's been helping Australians enjoy the ride. Behind the wheel of a Winton, you're comfortably in control of the most efficient, enjoyable, and brilliantly engineered car in the world. In fact, from class-leading luxury and performance cars to light trucks, heavy haulers, and agricultural equipment, all supported by our no-haggle, lifetime warranty and industry-leading service, Winton covers all the bases. Winton, Australian with a world of difference. Ah, uh, Winton. And our man, our man at Winton, Frosty, Frosty Chops. Yes. Head of Media and Government Relations at Winton Motor Company. He left New York under a cloud. Um, let's just say re-entering the US could be a bit tricky for him. Oh, uh, But he's currently in China. Yes. And there are, in fact, whispers of a Winton Wuling joint venture. China's whispers. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Wuling's yeah. part of the SAIAC group. Mm-hmm. And the focus is on a new people mover using the current Winton Turbo platform and the Redback V9 oh. drivetrain. Oh. So it could be a cracker. And if the Facebook snaps I saw a Frosty in the Tiki bungalow in Beijing or anything <laughs> to go by, 
negotiations are going extremely well. Oh, he's yeah. a master at he's the negotiations. He is. He's unbelievable. Oh, smooth, I mean, smooth I'm, and he's fluent. I'm struggling to believe that Fluting. he exists. Like he is. He's everywhere. He's an enigma and nowhere. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. There's going to be a special edition turbo called the Enigma, which enigma. Frosty's had a pretty, pretty oh. distinct hand in. By the way, that's great. I, I miss Frosty. I, w- I would be great to get him into the studio at some point, but he's, he's a busy man. He's mm. full of promises, mm. and we'll, we'll hold him to one one of these days. But mm. we were talking about Hilux, and given that the first three months of the year have gone by, March sales numbers are in, so we've got first quarter uh, data. Mm-hmm. Toyota's Ute Hero has topped the charts again, so Hilux is the best-selling vehicle in market, and it was a record month. Mm. First quarter sales were up 4.4% year on year and the biggest improver was Honda they're up around 50% yeah so um, that that shows that they've got the handle back on the on the tiller and and seem to be heading in the right direction uh, passenger cars overall were down 7.3% but micro cars jumped 47% month on month and that's mainly Kia's Picanto it's up a whopping 40 odd percent year to date and I think that's largely because they've got some pretty special offers out there you yeah. know Drive away fourteen thousand three hundred ninety dollars, um, and you're in a Picanto, or mm-hmm. about fifty dollars a week, two point something percent finance, and you've got a new Picanto in your driveway. How good is that for a station car with seven years warranty? Yeah, like, yeah that's how much couches cost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> true. Small SUVs climbed uh, over thirty percent um, compared with March last year, and that's HRV. That hits part big part of um, Honda's improvement. CX3, Qashqai, and especially the ASX uh, were all up. So that segment continues to just forge ahead um, and grow at the expense of conventional cars. I think that's, going back to the the Holden story, I think that's been one of the failures in in Holden is just haven't been there like Mazda, like Kia, like Hyundai, even Mm -hmm. like Ford with tackling SUVs Mm -hmm. properly. Well, Mm -hmm. it's the malaise they find themselves in, isn't it? Because... It sort of dawned on Holden that mm, we're building these really good Commodores, but no one wants them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the big ship turned slowly. So with all mm. of that manufacturing infrastructure in place, they were a Commodore company. That's right. Um, and yeah, sort of paying paying the price, I suppose. Yeah. Just on that Hilux, um, based on that first quarter, they will eclipse fifty thousand Hilux, Hilux sales is, this can, year, and I, I think they'll smash that. I think they'll get fifty-two. That's a lot of work 000. sites. What the, can the, I just say? Can I just say? Maybe, maybe the data's wrong because <laughs> I don't see. It's like every single month Hilux comes out on top. Every single year Hilux is the number one mm-hmm. car, you know, followed by Corolla and Mazda three or whatever. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I think I see more Corollas and Mazda 3s than I do Hiluxes. Like, according to that data, there should be Hiluxes everywhere. Richard, you live in Sydney. Yeah, that's right, isn't okay. it? In inner, inner Sydney. Inner I want, Sydney. I want yeah. to talk Queensland. Okay. I want to, in fact, talk Hang a on, line talk of latitude that, mm. that divides the country, above which is Hilux country yeah. and <laughs> 70 series and yeah. Land Cruiser. You yeah. Know, yeah. You, you really got to think about the environment I, where they're operating. I live uh, in the Blue Mountains and I was passed by, they weren't traveling in convoy. They, yeah. they were just traveling yeah. to work. It yes. was 6 a.m. on a Monday morning. Yeah. Uh, six Hilux SR5 dual cabs in a row. Together. T- the, yeah. not, not in convoy. Not associated with one another. Yeah. That's just what people buy out Yeah. There. So yeah. it's the go to choice. Yeah. 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 All right, well, look, out of that, um, the growth of small SUVs, 
leads us to the topic of Jaguars E-Pace. Now, that's a very recent release. We had our man Steve Corby there, and um, he's driven the car. You can have a look at that on our website, his, his views on it. Uh, the question that it raises on in my mind is, has that brand moved far enough for a small SUV variant to be credible and profitable? You know, is Jaguar cool enough uh, for younger buyers to want to jump into a, a really city-sized um, SUV? What do we think about that, Matt? I think they want to be cool enough. Yep. Um, I don't know, to be honest. Mm. I think there's more people, you know, if, you've, if you're spending 60 thousand fifty to sixty thousand bucks on an SUV, there's a lot of options out, out there. there. Yeah, true. And if you're buying, you know, if you're a younger buyer, yep. stretching yourself to fifty or sixty grand, yeah. I don't know whether I'd be looking at a small Jaguar SUV. Do you, do you know the thing that surprised me in Steve's story? It weighs close to two tons. Yeah. It's outrageous. It's incredibly yeah. heavy for its size. Yes. Yep. Um, so I don't think it's going to be particularly economical mm-hmm. uh, or agile. You know, it's a, it's a pretty heavy little nuggety bugger. Mm. I've, I've got a friend, a bit older, um, you know, in his, in his 60s, who has an MX-5 and a Porsche 911 and wants a Jag E-Pace. He just loves the Jaguar brand. Right, and, right. And all he spoke about while he was over here was, oh, you know, I can't, I can't wait to get an E-Pace. Gee. And you know, everywhere I go, I see a poster. So they are, you, the post, the billboard posters are everywhere. Well, that's really interesting mm. because, I mean, um, if you take a few life cycles ago, Jaguar mm. tried to get into the, the more profitable part of the market yeah. with progressively smaller cars. Yeah. They lobbed in the S-Type, yes. which was very much a retro-style reworking of a, a classic mm. uh, model. Mm-hmm. Then they went to the X-Type, which was a tiny little uh, sedan mm. that ended up being bought by older people. So it was yeah. just a cheaper way into a Jaguar for the traditional XJ type buyers. Mm. Yeah. Here, it seems like a more credible shot at people who are younger, and the price is is a lot more approachable. Yeah. Um, but you know, to your point, Matt, it, there are a lot of choices out there. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, the traditional Jaguar buyer might have looked at Jaguar as a sedan and sports car brand. Yeah. But like all the other luxury yeah. brands, they're exactly. turning into an SUV brand. Exactly. You can't escape it. Exactly. It's just where things are going. Well, talking of young people, now a word from our cheeky young chums at Oversteer. When you're done listening to these old farts ramble on... Can I tell a story? Come and listen to the Oversteer podcast, where we talk about the stuff that kids love. Story time with Mitchy Boy. Yeah, because if I don't try, I won't fail. <laughs> like, you know on, how mate. you roll into a petrol station and you're like... Would you rather be designated driver for a group of kids on a sugar high or a group of super drunk adults? Yes, the Oversteer podcast has everything, and you can find it on the Cars Guide website, iTunes, and where all good podcasts are sold. I don't know, I hate them. Wow. They're such a positive person, Richard. You've got a lot of hate. But they're just so young that I just find them annoying. They think they know everything, and then they know nothing. Okay, <laughs> back back to us, the people so, that do in fact yeah, know everything. Yeah. And by the way, dear listener, we know that on any given subject, <laughs> there's going to be someone out there among you that knows a lot more than we do. So <laughs> let us know when we stuff it up. Can yeah. I can I actually just already point out a stuff up I've made back in that Holden story? I said huh. that the uh, the sedan of the uh, Astro was based on the Daewoo, yeah, showing my a, age. It's based on the Chevrolet Cruze. Yeah, uh, the Daewoo so hasn't the, existed the, for a little while. <laughs> so yes, the hatch is based on the Opel Astro. The sedan is based on on the Chevy Cruze. Yeah. So, so for young people, here's another one that might fire up the youngsters. Um, it was at the New York Auto Show. 
Um, it is incredibly beautiful. Um, it's the Genesis Essentia. Now, ostensibly, it's a concept car, yet at the same time we're being told it's the basis of a production car. It's a zero tailpipe emission um, EV, four-seat but two-door, and incredibly good-looking, just dramatic, dramatic styling. Um, it, it, it's going to underpin the next sort of generation of Genesis cars. How fair income do we think that we'll ever see that on the road? Allegedly oh. by, what, 2021? 2021. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's purely <laughs> to get people talking, which, which is exactly yeah. what's happening now. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, they're, they're, it breaks so many ADRs uh, just looking at it uh, that it's just no way that they could possibly do that. Yeah. Um, it looks amazing. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and it's you know that's what concept cars are for you know True. to to get you passionate and and to start your talking Genesis as a brand really needs yeah. some some passion and some some exposure and this sure. is doing it it's perfectly what a concept does well if you remember the existing Hyundai Genesis coupe yeah. was the you know it was the foot in the ground where they where they stood up and said Genesis is going to be a thing yes right yeah. so. They need a coupe. Yep. They need something sporty. They, they do. Like they've got this couple of sedans. Yeah, um, and yep. that's it. Well, this car, as much as it's a public statement and and is designed to generate excitement, you know, amongst consumers, it's also a corporate statement. Mm-hmm. And everybody that works for Hyundai and Genesis would be looking at that and thinking, yeah, like I feel good about huh, this company. It also lets the designers off the leash and and lets them produce something that probably wouldn't comply with design regulations anywhere in the world. Yeah. And expose new technology, and it's Genesis saying we're as good as anybody else, and and we can we can do this. So yeah. it's a big statement. Will we see it in the car park at your local Woolies? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, no, no way in the known universe. But um, it's fantastic. Go go to our website. We've got a new spot. Um, our trusty man Chesto was there on the spot and gives you the the lowdown on that car. Now speaking of uh, low emissions. It's not necessarily what you think of uh, when thoughts turn to the prancing horse and Ferrari, yet footage has emerged of um, at least a hybrid test mule that on the outside looks like a 488. But Richard, you've got the mail on what this actually represents. So the the car moves off silently, which would indicate it's either full electric or some kind of hybrid. Yes, so uh, it was spotted testing uh, and it was silent. Uh, So what we can tell is that obviously it's running under an an electric uh, drivetrain at that point. It could be a hybrid. It's not going to be in the 488, even though that's what the the mule that was testing it uh, happened to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's most likely going to be the uh, hybrid drivetrain, which will appear in Ferrari's first SUV. Which will be a, a like a Lamborghini Urus um, yeah. rival. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's still off in the distance at this yes. point, but yeah. um, that's what it will appear. Yeah. I suppose. I suppose that's um, an interesting place for it to reside. But you'd have to think that much like Porsche with its 911, um, you know, that Ferrari with its mid-engine kind of sub supercar or, or junior supercar would have to be thinking hybrid as well. Yeah. Um, so it may find multiple homes. Um, and if anyone's going to do it well, um, Ferrari stands a pretty good chance. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Mascioni's actually uh, uh, come out and, and defended hybrid uh, technology uh, to the Ferrari purists and people who think, you know, Ferrari should only have V8s and V12s. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a great quote here, and it would have Enzo absolutely turning in his grave. Um, he said, Have you ever driven a Ferrari hybrid? When you do, I'm sure you won't miss a V12. 
Wow. Well, I mean, the LaFerrari had the Hikers. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a hybrid of the highest order. Mm, mm. Um, so presumably if some of that tech is being developed and but, filtering down to, to other cars. But well, how big was that LaFerrari? And that's why oh, they're true. looking towards SUVs because you've true. got the, the packaging practicalities of a larger to body. To fold it all to in To fit there. everything in. Yeah. Well, actually, um, in that, that same story, they're talking about how it won't probably take um, make use of the Kurs technology because that's really to supplement power All rather right. than be an environmentally conscious gotcha. thing. So they're trying to make this a proper hybrid. Oh, wow. All right. Well, yeah. we'll see. Speaking of environmental concerns, um, diesel seems to be really, pardon the pun, on the nose in Europe. There are, yep. there are various cities that are threatening to ban diesel cars either for parts of the day or altogether. And manufacturers are flirting with buyback schemes. That is, they're offering owners the option of cashing their car in if the city they live in ends up banning diesels. So they've got this massive investment in diesel technology, all of this fine-tuning and development to make diesels Euro 6 and more kind of compliant and as mm-hmm. clean as possible. Mm-hmm. And yet it's taken out of their hands with cities just saying, nah, you've got a diesel car, you can't come in here. This seems amazing. Could yeah. it ever happen here, Matt? What do you oh, reckon? Not here, I don't think. Um, I think there's, there's a good chance that... European cities uh, will enforce these bans in order to reduce these emissions because there's more European cities and there's more smog. So we don't have that much of an issue in Australia with that side of things. Uh, Obviously, yes, diesels can produce smog and they do emit bad things. But, you know, Australia's... uh, We're so behind on environmental thoughtfulness that there's no... There's no way in the next 20 years we'll see any cities banning diesel in Australia. No way. The thing is, the way I see it, we could have a bit of a knock-on effect because if European countries are are banning diesel cars, Mm -hmm. they'll stop producing them. And the majority of diesel cars that come to Australia are are European Mm -hmm. spec cars anyway. Well, apart from Um, utes. Apart from utes. And I look, I I don't think that there'll be a long time before diesel's banned for Well, apropos of our conversation a couple of minutes ago, it put most of Queensland out of a set of wheels. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. totally. It shut down. And it's funny that because in Europe, pickups and utes like we are getting here and have been getting for years and years, Mm. they're just starting to take off there. Yes. So what happens then? Exactly. Yeah, great point. Well, we'll wait and see. It's Mm -hmm. nice to be spectating from the sidelines. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, with that. We've reached the finish line. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. And Matt. Thank you. And thanks to our producer, Barbara, steering the panel. Some drink from the fountain of knowledge while he just gargles. And thank you for listening. Please let us know what you think of the program. Search for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram and use the hashtag CGPodcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you like the show, why not subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes? It means you won't miss an episode and helps let others know about the podcast. Thank you. I hope you can join us next week. Until then, remember, the definition of mixed feelings is when you see your mother-in-law backing off a cliff in your new car. (laughs) 